Hello, this is Neil Ruda. Welcome to Unsung Missionary Heroes, interviews with heroes of the faith. This podcast is brought to you by the nine international ministries of Assemblies of God World Missions. These ministries are Builders International, Compassion Link, Global Initiative, Global University, Jacob's Hope, Life Publishers, Network 211, Oral Learners Initiative, and Royal Rangers International. For more information, visit im-agwm.org. Now let's join our podcast. I'm here today with Jerry and Faith McCullen, and we are going to talk about their lives and ministry and missions. First of all, Jerry and Faith, thank you for letting me uh, be with you today and for us to uh, have this conversation. It's a delight. And I want to start by asking, how did each of you become Christians? I became a Christian because I had never heard the gospel message. And we had some friends that lived over in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and we were playing in a band at the time. And we went over to spend the night with them, play the job on Saturday night, and then go to church with them on Sunday morning because we went to a church but it was it wasn't an evangelical church and so I didn't really know how Jesus they had a, a chaplain that morning a lady and she was she just gave a basic gospel message you know if you know this is who Jesus is you accept him then you have eternal life period I mean it was very simple and I thought my goodness who wouldn't want to do that and so I raised my hand. I, I didn't know the procedure. And this was an, an AG church over in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And I went forward, prayed the sinner's prayer. And, and my friend, who was pretty wild before she got saved, um, she came up to me and she said, oh, she said, I've just been praying for you for the longest time. And I thought, why? I'm a good person. <laughs> and so I went home. Jerry had a real Bible, a black Bible with a red, you know, binding around the edge yeah. of it. And, and so I started reading every morning. Everybody go off to school, and Jerry go to work, and I'd sit down over breakfast, and I would read that. I'd read it until noontime sometimes. I read it from cover to cover, and through the whole thing, I I could see Jesus. I recognized Jesus, and I know it was the Holy Spirit just opening the word to me. I got through reading it, and then I really, then I really knew what it said. So often, the book I was reading wasn't his little black Bible. It was a paperback that my friend in Portsmouth had given me. It, it just was paperback, and it was on bad paper, and, you know, didn't look like a real Bible. So I started reading it, and every time I found something in there that I didn't, I didn't realize was in the Bible, and went and looked at a real Bible, I found the same thing. Through that, the Holy Spirit really revealed who Jesus is and what he means to us. And so that's really when I got saved. It wasn't when I went forward. It was when I started reading the Bible. Jerry, how about you? Both of us were 40 when we got saved. I was a city planning director. I was had a, an important job in city government, advising mayor, council, advising the governor, and so on. And um, obviously, I wasn't Christian. And, and I was speaking to public groups three or four times a week for 20 years, and nobody ever witnessed to me. But just to get out of the office on my lunch hour, finally, I would get to go away from the phone. I'd take my lunch, I'd go to the cemetery and read. And I was reading all kinds of books, reading through the library. One book that I hadn't read was the Bible. So I checked that out and it was a four version parallel Bible. I read it cover to cover in three months and I realized that, that God was real and I wasn't living the way I needed to live. I need to change my life. Nobody witnessed to me. And I didn't know about praying or you know anything like that, but we were living out in the woods and we were heating with wood. And so I would go out on weekends and with a chainsaw and we would, I'd fell trees and we'd split them. And one Saturday I started to walk out with the chainsaw and I felt God speak to me 
he just said, resign. Well, you know, I knew it was God speaking and uh, I knew I had to resign. So I went in on, on the Monday morning and told the city manager, even though I'd been there for 20 years, I told the city manager, I've got to resign. And he says, how come? And I said, well, the Lord told me. I didn't even know enough to witness to him, but I did. I did take his hand. I said, can I pray with you? And he tried to pull away. I prayed with him and I left. And I think that um, the people there thought maybe my, my wife had gotten saved and, and she convinced me. But anyway, that's how I got saved. He got saved before I did. So wow. <laughs> it's amazing how he works. He did. We didn't, we didn't have anybody ever witness to us. Never really so died. growing up, you never had uh, anyone that was involved in your life that had witnessed to you or had shared, shared Jesus with you until the 40s? My mom read the Bible, let's say, but she didn't know enough even to witness to us kids. She'd talk about Jesus, but she never talked about what he meant to us usually. So she was saved a long time, but we never, we lived on a farm out in the country up in the corner of South Dakota, and we never got to go off the farm, let alone go to church. So no, I I just, I'd heard, I, I knew about him, but I didn't know him. So let me ask you this, when you came to Christ, what brought you and what led you to missions specifically? Uh, you know, Jerry, you had a career and obviously the Lord asked you to lay that aside. How did that process uh, come to pass in your life? Well, when when I resigned, you know, what were we going to do? We started our own consulting business. And because we'd been trained as commercial artists before I got into government, uh, we started a business that where we did artwork and I uh, was a development consultant, advising developers and attorneys about things like that. But anyway, in the process, we had started coming to, oh, after she went to forward in, in Portsmouth. Those friends said they, they went to an Assembly of God church. Well, we looked around and in our town, we had a little tiny Assembly of God church with about 25 people in it. We started going there. The, the pastor resigned. And by that time, I got on the board for some reason. And, <laughs> and the person that came up to candidate was from Gospel Publishing House. In, in the process of working as a consultant and continuing to read the Bible, I realized in there it said that God gives you the gifts, you shouldn't bury them. And I thought, well, I'm so stupid about everything. God, close the doors where you don't want us to be, open the doors where you want us to be. And when I prayed that, immediately all of our clients phoned up and canceled all of the projects I had. 500-acre development, uh, condominiums, shopping centers, and so on. And I had a peace in my heart because I realized being guided by God. So when this person came to candidate, Faith cornered him, she says, do you need artists down there where you work? And he says, oh, send us some material and we'll see. So we sent some down to headquarters. And at that point, Ron Bearfield from ICI in Brussels had come in and they had 30 books that had been printed uh, artists to do the, the artwork for them. He saw our portfolio, called me up, and he said, uh, if I send you the rough, will you illustrate one of these books? We were trained to work fast, and I didn't realize at the time, but they it would take their artists six months to a year to do a book. Well, he sent the, the work up to us. A week later, I had the book done and sent it back to him, and he said, what do we pay you? And I said, no, you know, don't pay me. That's God's work. He said, well, would you agree to have us fly you over to Brussels for two weeks? And so I said, yes. That was a real step of faith, wasn't it? You know, we were trusting God. At that point, 
when we had given our hearts to God before anybody told us about it, <laughs> having read it in the Bible and said, this is who God is, we said, if God says it, you better do it. And it's interesting because here we were 40 years old and we'd raised our kids, but we didn't know Jesus. And so we were always honest and, you know, we led good lives. We were what they call good people, but but we weren't saved. And so I I just start praying, God, use us. You know, I feel like we've wasted so much time. And what can we do for you? Show us. And I just kept praying. Like they had men's prayer at church. And so Jerry would go and they'd do things there. But I wasn't really involved in anything. I just kept praying, God, use us somehow. I had, I didn't even, I wasn't thinking about mission. Well, by that time, our daughter, she had been in uh, Syracuse, New York at the university. She had started college and partway through, I think two years into it, she decided that she wasn't really learning anything. She's very talented. And the, the teacher who was head of the illustration department, which is where she, her major, they wanted her to, to be the uh, the assistant to the teacher, you know, but she wasn't learning any. And so she wanted to go down to New York City to um, Fashion Institute. And so we went down there and she got in. She, there were like 50 kids, young students that were trying out and they had to draw and do anything. And out of that group, they only had three openings and they took her. So she started down there. And because there wasn't anything else going on, it's a fashion school. So there wasn't very much going on. And so she started going to church down there. She got saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and she came home at Thanksgiving and said, Mom, you and Dad have to go into missions, and you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And she was just on fire. And while I was very pleased for her, I wasn't saved yet at that point. Yeah. When she said, you need to, you know, you know how you need to get saved, you need to go into missions. And I just laughed. I said, well, who do you think is keeping you in school? <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't know. I, I was so ignorant. And so then when we both got saved, that her little voice kept coming back to me, mom, you and dad need to go into missions. I never thought it was possible. I thought we were way too old and, and too ignorant of biblical things because we hadn't gone to Bible school or anything. So it never crossed my mind. And then and then he gave notice at work and here we've got a daughter in college and a son coming up to it and no visible means of support. <laughs> but God knew. And yeah. he, we did really well with our own with our own company after he quit, we both knew that wasn't where God wanted us. When, so, he, when we got this call, then that was that was kind of an answer to what God was doing in our life. So when you got started in missions, tell me a little bit about your lives and career in missions and how God used you. Well, when we were in, in ICI in Brussels, they had me, by this time, I read through the Bible, I don't know how many times, and they had me begin teaching in the, the church that we have over there, International, International church. church. And then there was an opportunity to uh, go into Russia with a group uh, before the wall, Iron Curtain went down, they invited us to go along with them. At that point, we had actually... Both of us had, had learned Spanish when we were in the States, and then we studied French while we were there. And then when we went into Russia, we really got a burden for the Slavic people going in there and, and experiencing what we did when we went into Russia and Ukraine and, and came back. And at that point, the head of uh, ICI said, you need to get credentialed. So we'd been there two and a half years, and he said, here's the fast track to get credentialed. Came back to the States. I went through Berean, mm -hmm. a Berean course and got licensed and then got ordained. ICI was going to be coming back to Texas and we had that burden for missions in, I mean, for the Slavic people. So when they had at school of missions, the time when they were saying we have people going into the various countries in Eastern Europe, we had both agreed that if there's one that 
that nobody wants to go to, we would, we would want to go there. And they said that, that there was nobody to go to Bulgaria. And both of us at that point, it was like a shock went through us. And that, yes, that's one where we should go. And so not knowing really where Bulgaria was, going back to our dorm room there at the Bible school, we looked at a map on the wall and Faith said, oh, it's just a land of mountains and valleys. Well, we went to our room and it had streams and deserts for our devotion that night. And it said, the land I'm giving you is a land of mountains and valleys. Wow. So a confirmation. And we talked to some of the uh, senior missionaries that, that we had known before. And they and said, what do we do about it? And one of them said, just let it cook. That's what happened. And eventually, then Jerry Parsley contacted us while we were out itinerating to go back to ICI. Uh, he checked with our home person that did our interviews and said, they're ones, if they want to go, you know, you should let them do it. <laughs> then we went with the first ones into Bulgaria. What were some of the highlights of your work there? One of the things is within about eight months, we were able to uh, fluent in the language because we learned it on the street. There was no, no language. And because we have apparently an ability to learn and over the process yeah. of it, survived in seven languages. But when highlights are, they closed down the churches immediately. Within three months of, of us arriving, the Orthodox Church declared what we were doing, enemies of the state. 228 below ground underground churches had become 350 above ground churches meeting wow. in the communist car Congress halls. When they declared enemies of the state, all the people there were meeting out on the uh, snow on icy steps in the forest and so on. So we spent a lot of time going around finding buildings that we could buy for thousand, dollars $3,000 or something. And the people there would convert it into church. So we ended up in the time that we were there, we bringing instruction teams and medical teams and uh, building or making possible over 20 churches. The other thing is that the Assemblies of God had been given ostensibly a 10-year Bible school for free up on the border with Romania. And we found out very soon that it wasn't really, that wasn't true, that there was a an, an individual there who had it and, and he was um, misusing our funds. We were able to relocate that down to uh, Bulgaria, I mean, down into Sofia and start the Sofia Bible Institute and then bring in instructors and provide a, a curriculum so that we had really Bible training. And that continued on and continues to this day. About that time, the Orthodox Church, this was when there was a crackdown throughout the Soviet, former Soviet Union, and the countries were began kicking the missionaries out. And so we went from there to Slovakia. Friends of ours, uh, Gornel Smiths, who, who had been with in Brussels, had been in Slovakia as the missionaries, and they needed somebody to take their place. And so when they went to another venue, we were there in Slovakia, and with them, we again began working with the national leaders to establish the church structure, and uh, we were able to bring construction teams in and uh, build two churches and start another one and teach in the Bible school. So then at one point later on, we were there. I mean, the whole thing was roughly 20 years. After Slovakia, we got a clear message from God that he wanted us to leave. And leave now. He says, it was leave and leave now. An another missionary coming in there. So we we didn't know where to go. The area director said, have you considered Germany? Well, we really hadn't, but we got some bread and cheese and got in the car with a map and 
and drove and prayed and circled through Germany and finally came to a place where in the evening we had a piece that this is the region. Well, it was nothing. There was just a roadhouse and landscape. But we had known the uh, Dittmar Middlestadt, uh, Dittmar and Elizabeth in Brussels, and we called them up because we knew that they were there. And they said, here's a place where you might think about. So we ended up locating in Herborn, a hundred-year-old town in Germany. And at that point, we started in lang two language schools simultaneously because we wanted to be fluent in that language also and started to go to a, a German church, speaking church, but it, that really wasn't where we were supposed to be. So our son being in the military, we realized that we've got missionary kids in the military coming over there. They're in a strange environment. They need to have witness too. Yeah. So we went down to the military base there and I talked to the head chaplain who was a Methodist and, and he said, no, we need you here. We put you in charge of discipleship and evangelism. And he said, Could, you know, can you do the midweek service? Well, so we did the midweek service. In the military, there are two churches. They have the high church, which is your standard denominations. And then they have what they call a gospel congregation, which is evangelical, primary primarily black service men and their wives and their families. The board from the black church came to Wednesday night. They asked us to be their pastor. So for the next several years, we, we pastored the black servicemen's church that had a mixture of Germans in there also. And at the same time, going to the language school, because we had come into Germany, not as Americans, they say, where are you from? We came in as Slovaks, because yeah. we were speaking Slovak at that point. And we went into the language schools and they would say, where are you from? We said, well, Slovakia. We came from Slovakia. We came from Slovakia. So anyway, we were meeting all of the people from Chechnya and Serbia and Kosovo and all these Russia. That was during the war. The drink yeah. was, that was during the Second Balkan Wars. And we met a, a family that was Kosovar Muslims that had home had been uh, destroyed by artillery. They had somehow made it out. of. They invited us to come home after language school, drive us home, have coffee with them. That's unusual in Germany. We go into this this village out in the countryside, and there were all of these refugees' families isolated in here, and they had four families of different countries, countries, languages, in this one apartment. And they had one room by themselves, husband and wife. They had an 18-year-old son and a 13-year-old daughter. And they sat down there and they had a, just an old couch they found on the street, a coffee table they found on the street. They brought in a chipped glass with some pretzel sticks in it to have coffee with them. And they says, here, have coffee. And we said, well, it's in our tradition. We thank God before we take something like this. We grabbed their hands, prayed with them, blessed the food in Jesus' name. We look up, tears coming down their faces. They said, they never had anybody pray with us. We spent the next three years with this Muslim family talking about God. And we, and we worked with UNHCR, United Nations High Commission of Refugees, and the embassy to get the documentation, to get them to the country safely, because we've had German news film of uh, the Kosovars coming in and machine gunning five members of their family, and they were going to be sent back. Anyway, they, they are like our children, and there would be times as they, as they witnessed to the other members of the Muslim community that in our congregation church, we'd have pews with Muslims there in the front and asking for somebody to pray for them. You know, they'd have somebody they couldn't ask. They'd ask somebody, have them pray for me. We came back to the States, got a phone call at noon, and their nephew said, we just sat down for Ramadan and we blessed the food in Jesus' name. <laughs> so that was what happened before we came back to the States. So were there low points? Lots of them. <laughs> I think one of the things that happened is that, that God constantly gave us reassurance. Every time that there would be some kind of a crisis that came up, as an example, we found, found out there had been four of the pastors that had been placed in the churches around the country, placed there by the KGB. In, in Bulgaria. In Bulgaria. When we would end up in a low point and the 
the sky would be black and be a storm come in, we'd look across the horizon, there'd be a rainbow. Mm -hmm. And over and over this happened. And so every time that there was a low point like that, God stepped in. I just got to tell you this one thing. We got up on the Romanian border with the Bible school that was up there. I began urinating blood and we needed to get to a hospital. We were able to make it down into... It was in the midst of a snow and ice storm. So oh the roads, they don't keep the roads up in Bulgaria at all. So it was like going, going back home, which is like a six hour drive on a river that was frozen. It was, we raced in for three hours, three days. Anyway, when we finally got down there, I had... I didn't have any pain, just blood, and called up a col colleague in Macedonia, and he gave us the name of a doctor in Thessalonica. So that's another six hours down into Thessalonica. We w drove in there, went up to the hospital where it was, asked the name of the doctor, and they said, this is the doctor. He owns the hospital. <laughs> we went in there, and this was a time when there was going to be a decision about the board, having the board in Bulgaria elected. And I had been riding in the car and not letting them know that I understood Bulgarian. They were talking about the man in the back seat was a major in the KGB and the one in the front was talking to him about getting him put on the board. I, I really wanted to be at that meeting, but here I am stuck in a hospital in Thessalonica. And here's what God does. Put me in that room. And we walked in the room. I turned and looked on the wall as a plaque that said, this room donated by the McCullough family. <laughs> the small, I mean, small. How does that happen? Here yeah, we are yeah. in Thessalonica, Greece. And it's like God saying, I got it under control. And that's the kind of low point, high point that we had. Whenever there was a low point, God stepped in and spoke to us very clearly that he was still in charge. So yeah. there was never any time when we ever thought we need to leave or we want to leave. We knew we were committed there and it never occurred to us. The Holy Spirit kept you going, didn't he? Sure oh, absolutely. Did. Absolutely. You need all the power you can get, and the Holy Spirit is with you all the time, and it's very obvious in the things yeah. that... What would you say would be the most rewarding accomplishment through your years? I think when we had to leave Bulgaria, when they finally kicked us out, <laughs> I think knowing that, that God left 22 churches there yeah. that weren't there before, yeah. that were flourishing, yeah. and, and I think to this day are really flourishing, that meant that while we felt like a failure to have to leave the country God called us, I feel like that he gave us that encouragement. If you had to offer one or two tips to new missionaries, what would you say? First is take the time to understand the culture before you think about what kind of ministry it's going to be. Right. If you understand the people, the culture, and the needs, then that'll tell you God will lead you to where, where the ministry should be. Second thing is forget about the finances. If you're supposed to be there, God will keep the finances in there. I think it's a big mistake to say, I'm out raising money. You're not raising money. God is the one who provides the funds. So forget about that. Focus on what your call is. Also, I think itineration, sometimes it just kind of gets blown off. But I'll tell you something. That's a big part of missionaries' ministry. You go and you stay with pastors, and they can tell you things that they can't share with their congregations. They can't share with anybody else. You come, you listen, you try to counsel if you can, or you just love them and just listen. And then you leave. And, and so the reminder of all that goes with us. And I feel like, I don't think missionaries, some of them probably don't realize what a ministry itineration really is. And I, I think going along with that, one of the things that 
God really spoke to us about earlier on. We never asked for money. We never asked for pledges. We figured it was very early on. He says, you know, I'm going to do it. So the whole words, I'm out raising funds, were not part of the vocabulary. And I think it's a big mistake to say that because it's God, it's not mammon. That's right. And I just tell you this. I, I got to have, tell you one more thing. <laughs> we'd, we'd, we'd itinerated for two and a half years. And in that itineration, we had our pledge support at zero in our budget for a pledge budget. We had about six weeks until we needed to get- We had, we had the pledges were in, but the cash budget I'm wasn't sorry. there. Yeah. yeah, pledges in, but no cash budget, zero cash budget. And we had a, a couple of weeks before we had to go to Bulgaria. Uh, we had, I had been every district that tried to call somebody, a missionary from Iceland said, we've got a round robin happening in Tennessee it's going to be in churches, never had a mission convention. It's not going to be Nashville or, and he says, we can guarantee you $100. <laughs> and we had six Fine. Weeks I said, let's do it. $24,000. So I'll just tell you, we went, I went there, drove there. And in the first church, the first place we came to, he had all of we missionaries lined up, lined up for the different services, morning, evening at the different churches. He says, here's where your church will be tomorrow morning. That morning I woke up and he says, the pastor's resigned. You have five minutes in this other church. I went to the other church. I spoke for five minutes, came out in the foyer. The board came out. Their faces were pale. They said the offering was $12,000. Now, this happened over and over and over. One of them, when they gave me that $100 envelope, he said, don't ask for money. Don't ask for a pledge. And handshakes in the foyer had over $8,000. This, this happened. We came back. Instead of having 24000 in the cash budget, we had 42000 cash budget. This is because we never asked for funds. We trusted God. He gave us what we needed so that when we got to Bulgaria, when we needed the two, $3,000 to buy the church, to build a church, to build 24 churches, the cash was there. The thing of it is, is that when I called Springfield, I said, you know, we're leaving next week. And how much is in our cash budget now? And she says, you have 42,000. And I said, no, no, you mean 24, because that was what her goal was. She says, no, I mean 42. So God knew how much we were going to need for those churches. We had no idea even what our ministry would be. And here we wind up in, in Bulgaria where they needed churches, but well, Jerry's background is in planning and building, you know, construction, all those kinds of things. That's what was needed there. And God knows that. How he prepared Jerry for dealing with the, with the perfidy of, of leadership in those countries in Eastern Europe. Being in government in the States was a wonderful background because he learned, one, how to recognize deceit and, and how to deal with it in a way that wasn't destroyed. And, and so I I think I look back and I see how God, he, he used us. He answered my prayers big time yeah. because it was a hard place to live. Bulgaria was really a hard place to live and survive in. But God was with us the whole time. And because it was so hard, we felt his presence in a real strong way because he had to. Well, the other thing he did is gave us favor when we dealt with mafias and KGBs. We had, at that point, the uh, when Iron Curtain fell, a lot of the people who were in KGB became the bodyguards for the mafias. When we needed to bring, to get a hotel room for all of the instructors and the people who are coming in for the regional Bible conferences that we'd have, 200 some people, I would go into the hotel and be able to talk to the guy who owns the hotel. At that point, they'd bought maybe two, two or three truckers a, a month might come through that hotel. They advanced by having 
uh, success for their hotels. I would, by this time, we're speaking enough of the language that I would go in and talk to them and negotiate it. And most of the time it would be like this. I would, we'd have 265 people. This was for the conferences. We set up conferences for the, the local people for Bible study so they could minister in their areas and feel like they had enough Bible knowledge to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we would bring teachers in and it would be what, two weeks? Yeah, two weeks, pastors and lay leaders. I would arrange it so that it would be $7 per person per week for a room and meal for all. Of them. I mean, and how do you get 200 some people and it's only costing $7 a week per person? Well, it only cost us that because I mean, yeah, our yeah, work yeah. funds, all the people that gave us support. I mean, God bless them because they're the reason that those people could attend that because yeah. we, we bankrolled the whole thing because God gave us the funds but, to do but that. We wanted, to, we wanted to make that money go as far as it could because the people are donating it. Right. But but this over and over and over to the point where when we would come to the hotels, our construction teams would be greeted like they were the Olympic team. They would yeah. be brought in and the bodyguards would you know set aside their AK-47 and so on and welcome us in. It was just God gave us favor that way. And we did that with the construction teams, too, because their ministry was, what was it, where they were, where they'd buy stuff on the way back? All of them. What we did when, when the construction team came in, we said, you guys made no construction real well, but we want to have the men, because mostly women go to church, we want the men to be tied into that church. So we asked the people who were building church, we want your men to be building there. And we told our men, do it their way. If they're mixing, if, if they don't know straight plumb and level, if they're not mixing the concrete right, do it their way. And then when you walk back to the hotel, you stop at all the little shops and you buy stuff. And so what they were doing is building goodwill for the church. Mm-hmm. And we had several towns where the mayor called us in and gave the key to the city, the pastor of the, of the Bulgarian, Bulgarian pastor of the church. It's wonderful. Those construction teams and medical teams, I'll tell you something, that ministry is fantastic because they give the missionary who's living there more credibility. And and our teams, the teams were so loving and so generous. One of them brought in a suitcase of shoes to give. One of the students had requested, she worked with a uh, gypsy orphanage, and she had requested, would it be possible for them to bring some shoes for my children? So we put that in when we were communicating with the team coming in, the medical team coming in. They brought the big suitcase of shoes. I mean, those shoes, I mean, that that's a treasure for them. Yeah, yeah. It really is. All those kinds of things that we take for granted here. And I don't know if it's still that way there, but it sure was when we were there. Well, Jerry and Faith, this has been such a such a wonderful time. I want to say thank you for letting me be with you today and to hear your hearts. I believe that what you've shared is going to be an encouragement, but I, I have to suspect that it's going to especially be an encouragement to some of our missionaries that are raising their support and that are maybe questioning God, where am I in all of this? And so I just appreciate your transparency and your openness, and uh, I'm just believing that God is going to use uh, what you've shared today today. So thank you very much. Thank you for letting us know. Well, that's our podcast for today on Unsung Missionary Heroes Interviews with Heroes of the Faith. My name is Neil Ruda. This podcast has been brought to you by the nine international ministries of Assemblies of God World Missions. They are Builders International, Compassion Link, Global Initiative, Global University, Jacob's Hope, Life Publishers, Network 211, Oral Learners Initiative, and Royal Rangers International. You can check all of them out at im-agwm.org. Thanks again for joining us, and come back again and listen to our next podcast.